This morning, we are continuing our sermon. We're going to be a series. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Peter, so I encourage you uh, to uh, go ahead and open to, to chapter 4. Um, several years ago, <clears throat> I took Justin to his first demolition derby. Now, um, we grew up in Redneckville, Ohio, where uh, we went to the county fair and we didn't just go to one, we went to several county fairs. And uh, they had uh, mud bogs where uh, you would see uh, if your truck was strong enough to actually make it through the mud, uh, we would hook trucks up to one another and see who could pull the other truck the furthest. Um, we had the tractor poles, we had the truck poles to see how heavy of things they could pull. Um, and one of the other ones uh, that Justin really enjoyed uh, was the demolition derby. And uh, if you've never been to a demolition derby, basically you took one of the old cars that you had growing up today, not, not you young kids because they would never make it. Um, but if, if you had a car that was from anywhere from the, the, the seven station wagons, how many grew up in a station wagon, had a station wagon? Yeah, those were the best. Okay, they lasted. Or if you had one of the old cars that the doors were like 20 foot long on, like those were the cars you wanted, and, and they're coming very scarce to find. And, and so back when I remember growing up, when they had the big station wagons, they didn't really wet the track down, and they would just let cars just slam into one another. Now, uh, they, because of all of the cars that we have today that are made of plastic, uh, they soup the it up so much and the cars like hardly even move um but anyways what you do is um you back up and then you just ram into one another until there's one car standing at the end and they win that heat or a couple and then eventually there's an ultimate prize well justin was like hey dad as they're all coming in they were getting these magnetic flags to put on top of their cars and he's like, what's that for? And I said, well, what you have to do is, is, is you put that on top of your car and you take it down when your car is out. Um, and, and that could be because you've been hit too hard and you can't really see straight anymore, which does happen. You t reach up and you take the flag out. <clears throat> if your car stops moving or if it blows up, you take the flag off. And then, and the reason that they do that is because you can't just jump out of the car in the middle of the road and be like, oh, I'm going to get out of the middle because you're going to get smashed. Okay. So anyways, um, these cars are just hitting each other and they're just, you know, just going at it. And you could watch all of them taking their, their flags off. Well, one guy, he reaches up and he takes his flag off. Well, he's sitting in the middle and these two cars had backed up and they just throw it in reverse and just slam in and they miss each other, but they hit this car. And, and, and the words that he used were not words of blessing to either one of these gentlemen, um, but he was not too pleased of, hey, I've given up, I've surrendered, I've pulled my flag, why have you still hit me? And I'm sure that as you think about your own life, some of you are in that situation right now. You feel like the demolition derby of life right now. And you feel like you've pulled your flag, but the hits just keep on coming. And that's what I want us to look at here this morning. First Peter chapter 4, uh, we're going to be jumping in at, at verse 12. And as we look at this, it's 
we're going to talk about trials and suffering and hardships and, and that they're designed to teach us so that our conduct and our character will change. You see, the word trial means to be under the thumb of pressure. Many of you know what that's like. To be underneath of the thumb, to be underneath of just extreme pressure. And these first century Christians, they knew what it meant to truly be pressed, to have all of the weight coming down upon them. Just unrelenting pressure. In the New Testament, the word for trial means to prove by testing. In other words, a trial demonstrates the genuineness of your faith in Christ and refines the quality of your spiritual life. Here's another way to put it. Trials allow God to adjust my conduct, which is what I do. At a deeper level, God is committed to reshaping my character, which is who I am. And it's all about His glory, which is why I exist. You know, the, the hits of life, they can come fast and furious, right? I mean, they, they just hit us, just, maybe it's just one day. Maybe it's several times in a day. Sometimes they last, they, they just feel like they last for, for days. Other times it's like they last for weeks. Other times they, they've lasted for months, maybe even years. For some of you, you have been dealing with something that you, you just feel like it's been going on for decades. You know, trials can be tiny and irritating, right? That they just seem like there's these little things that just keep popping up. They're these little nuisances. But sometimes they're titanic. Sometimes they're just impossible to endure, we feel like. And they can involve physical, relational, financial, emotional. They hit us spiritually, circumstantial. And there's several terms to, to talk about these trials. Uh, again, we're, we're going to use one word today uh, a lot, suffering. Peter uses this word a lot of suffering within our text. It's actually used uh, four times within our text that we're going to look at. And, and I believe that after what we came off last week and, and what we're digging into today, this really is, is, is the core. This is the real deep-seated theme of what Peter wants us to take away as we read this, as he is coming to a climax, as he's starting to wrap up everything to these first-century Christians that are just, just inundated with hardships and trials and sufferings, this really drives home the point. And in our passage, we have four truths to help us process how we can stay holy in a hostile world how we can remember to rely upon the hard rock in hard circumstances. The first truth is to receive suffering. Receive suffering. The, the first place to start when dealing with any pain, with any problem, with any persecution, is the way that we receive these hard times. Look at verse 12. It shouldn't surprise us when suffering comes. That's what Peter wants to drive home. He says, beloved, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange uh, were happening to you. 
Now, suffering is a mark of discipleship, something that is guaranteed for every follower. Whether you're going through it now, or whether it's going to be in the future, or whether you've just come out of it, suffering will happen to every follower of Jesus Christ. But I absolutely love how Peter starts this. He says, beloved. This word means prized, valued, dearly, and very much loved. When he is saying this, he says, you are highly prized. You are valuable. You are deeply, deeply loved. And the first seven times that this word is actually used in the New Testament is of God the Father talking about his very own son. And so when Peter drives this home, he wants us to see that we are truly loved the way that the Father loves his own son. Friends, when we really stop to think about it, when you're suffering, it's easy to question God's love, isn't it? We wonder, what if God is love, if God loves me, if I'm so highly prized, why am I going through what it is that I'm going through? And this is what I want you to truly understand. That in the midst of all the the garbage and the ruckus and everything else that this life throws at us, God considers you prized and holy. He treasures you in the midst of all of your suffering that you're going through. And then Peter says, he says, do not be surprised by the fiery trial. Do not be surprised. Even though suffering often ambushes us in unexpected ways, think about it. You're watching that scary movie and it's late and you're tired, but you're still watching it and you know what's about to happen. The guy is right around the corner and he's going to jump out with an axe. You know it's coming, yet when he jumps out, you still jump. You still find yourself unexpectedly having this shock in your lives we're told that we shouldn't be surprised we shouldn't be shocked but it still sometimes catches us off guard because of the moment in which it happens but you know right after paul was saved back in acts chapter 9 this is what we read for i will show him how much he will suffer for the sake of my name He is talking directly about Paul and all the suffering that he's going to have to go through. A fiery trial reminds me that sometimes suffering is really intense. Some of our brothers and sisters around the world are going through some fiery trials right now. Um, I just heard uh, this last week, I I, I heard from Madison, uh, Madison Jones. She is um, in the Amazon right now and uh she there are several different trials and sufferings that she's going through hardships that she's going through um she uh is starting to long for home um she's missing mom and dad it's been several months that she's been gone and it's been really hard but uh not only that um she wasn't very big before she left well they don't have all that much food um there and they don't have Starbucks. That's, I think, the worst for her. Um, 
But, uh, and then, so on her trip, I, I've got to share this with you. So um, she flew from Kona, um, Hawaii, and then she had a layover uh, in the States before she headed uh, south. The problem was, and she was looking forward to this, because her trial was she had not had for three months, she had not had Chick-fil-A. And she was longing for it, and she was excited for it. And then she realized that she was traveling on a Sunday. And that was heartbreaking. But I just share a side note there, funny story uh, there. But uh, she is sleeping on concrete. Uh, she's sleeping on the ground. And, and, one, uh, and, and there's been some, some um, very serious circumstances that have kind of happened with some of the tribes. Everything's safe, everything's good, but her biggest thing is, she says, the mosquitoes that we have in Virginia are not mosquitoes compared to what they have down here. And there's all of these different trials, and we make light of some of those things, but it's still a hardship for her and a suffering for her as she's spreading the gospel message um, to not have a, a, a regular bed to sleep on that she's used to. And it's changing some of that perception, but we truly have some uh, brothers and sisters who are around the world, in India, in Congo, in Haiti, that are in the Middle East, that are in India, that are in North Korea, that are in China, who are suffering titanic hardships like what we will probably never have to face. They are in intense, fiery trials. You know, new Christians are sometimes caught off guard because all of a sudden they give their life over to Christ and they feel like, why are these things happening to me? Well, why, is, why are these things here in my life? But when we put our faith in Christ, we are told that the pressures and the hardships and the, the persecution will come. Acts 14 verse 22 puts it succinctly. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Listen, Jesus never, Jesus never preached the prosperity gospel, but he did preach the persecution gospel. Matthew 5 verse 10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. John Stott suggests that we should not be surprised when anti-Christian hostility increases, but rather be surprised if it does not. In John chapter 15 verse 20, Jesus said, If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. In the next chapter, we read this. In this world, you will, you will have trouble. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Philippians chapter 1 verse 29 says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Suffering will come our ways in many different avenues, many different ways. 
Randy Alcorn makes an unsettling statement when he says this. If a faith that leaves us unprepared for suffering is a false faith that is a false faith that deserves to be lost. If you base your faith on a lack of affliction, your faith lives on the brink of extinction and will fall apart because of a frightening diagnosis or a shattering phone call. Token faith will not survive suffering, nor should it. Believing God exists is not the same as trusting the God who exists. So important for us to understand. Secondly, rejoice in your suffering. This one's a hard one, isn't it? I I mean, this one's pretty difficult when we really execute this. We're supposed to suffer, and when we suffer, we're supposed to exalt him in the suffering. Now, this is really hard for us because we think that we just have to always have this smile on our face and always be happy. We go back to those first century Christians. It's not like they were um, standing there and, and they're covered in um, the, the, the sheep cloth, the, the, the dead animal skins, and they take off running. And they're like, wow, isn't this great? We're going to get to die for Christ. And it's so awesome. And, and, and look at those dogs. All those are such happy dogs. Like, that doesn't happen. That's never what Jesus wanted. That's never what God was intending when he said to rejoice in your suffering. But it's knowing that where we're going to go in those times of suffering, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of hardships, in the midst of trouble, knowing that if you lose this life, you get something so much greater in the next I mean, it's not easy to rejoice in our suffering. Look at verses 13 through 14. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. When he says this, it is in the present imperative meaning that we should continue rejoicing, that we should always be rejoicing, that it should never cease, that it should never stop. And I believe there are three reasons that we can rejoice in our trials. The first one is that trials deepen our fellowship with Christ. Trials deepen our fellowship with Christ. Now, when we hear that word share, it's also interchangeable with fellowship. When it comes to the church, when we hear the word fellowship, what's the first word that comes to mind? Food. Eating. When, when we say, fellow, hey, we're getting together for a fellowship, I bet there's going to be some good food there. You know, like, that's the first thing that comes to mind. We have a budget line item that says, fellowship sunday night and they'll say hey travis i I bought food for the church where should i put it fellowship sunday night because that's the mindset that we we get into but do you know that when you suffer for the gospel you're actually sharing 
in the suffering of Jesus. You are growing closer to Jesus like nothing else can do. Secondly, trials deepen our joy as we prepare for his coming. Suffering gets our focus on the glorious day of his appearing. The phrase, rejoice and be glad, glad with exceeding joy, is quite descriptive. It means to lip, to skip, to skip with delight, to have lively joy, to be excited about what is happening. Something supernatural is happening when you suffer. Thirdly, trials deepen our reliance on the Holy Spirit. It's quite a wonderful thing to know that the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. God's glory is his weighty reputation and is really a sum total of all of his attributes. When we're talking about this very thing, that, the, that we have this reliance on the Holy Spirit, that he comes over and he rests upon us, it's the same reference of God's Shekinah glory, his ultimate glory coming and resting upon the tabernacle. If you go into the New Testament, uh, we, we read about one of the early disciples. His name was Stephen. And Stephen stood up and he, he preached to the Jewish people. And as he preached, they were infuriated with what he had to say. And so they decided that they were going to stone Stephen. And while they stoned him, he continued to preach and this is what we read the holy spirit was coming upon him in this moment and it says that his face looked like that of an angel that's pretty amazing to think about so the first hard lesson about hard times is to receive suffering secondly we're to rejoice in suffering and third reflect on your suffering Peter wants us to ponder why we're going through problems. Our suffering must, might simply be because we live in a fallen world. There is sin all around us and people are able to make their own choices and sometimes those choices are bad. And because they make those choices, sometimes it's just suffering happens because we live in a fallen world. But there's two other reasons that I really want us to drill in that, that I want us to talk about in verses 15 through 16. One of those is the result of my failures. You see, when we go through tough times, we should reflect to see if we're experiencing some consequences because of my own personal stupidity. I don't have a voice because I continued to yell. That was on me. I hurt all over because I made the decision to go run around in the outfield. And I can try to blame other people, right? I say, well, if the team had mother outfielders, then, and they should anyways, because I should not be allowed out there. Um, that's beside the point. But I could, I could blame it on the other, I could blame it on the rest of the team, that it's their fault. No, I went out there. I chose to go out there and become sore. Sometimes we have sin in our lives because we make dumb choices. 
we choose to do certain things that bring it upon ourselves. Look at verse 15. I mean, it is self-inflicted. But none of you should suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Now, I've told you in the past that I love to look at different translations of the Bible and what they might be saying or the way that they may translate one word just a little bit differently than another one. In the New King James Version, instead of saying uh, as a meddler, it says as a busybody in other people's matters. How many of you like to kind of meddle in a conversation. You start an argument and then you back out of it. You start talking about how um, Michigan really isn't that great of a football team with a bunch of other Michigan people, but then you just back out of it and you just listen to them bicker. And, and, and you can do it with sports. You can do it with a uh, Ford versus... Um, Ford versus Ferrari, that was a movie, right? Ford versus Chevy, that's a big one, okay? Um, And and there's all kinds of others that that you can throw out. Coke versus Pepsi. Listen, it's 2020. Can't we go to a restaurant that has Coke and Pepsi in the same building? I mean, come on, you know? But we want to argue about it. And, And there's so many other... Do you call it pop? Or do you call it that other word? It is pop. You know, and I'll argue with you all day long. And we can, we can, you start, siblings do it. I have three and one of them will start something and then walk away and the other two get into it. Sometimes they're fun, but we need to be very careful with this. Because do you see where meddling is linked with? evildoers, murderers, and thieves. You know, a busybody, a meddler, is often involved in character assassination when it really gets down to the heart of it, when it's not just joking around about sports. And, and sometimes I, and I've seen arguments about sports teams that get very, very heated and friendships lost over something like that. It makes me think back to Proverbs 26, verse 17. It says, He who passes by and meddles in a quarrel, not his own, is like one who takes a dog by the ears. So sometimes they're self-inflicted. They're my own mistakes, consequences. Number two, the result of my faith. Verse 16 says that it's preferable to suffer for our faith. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Do you know that when the word Christian was first used, it was that of a ridicule? We must not be ashamed for who we are as a Christ follower, as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And and I think this verse, verse 16, was really close for Peter. 
and it hit home, I think, as, as pen went to paper. Because there was a lot of shame in Peter's life. Because right before, right before Jesus goes to the cross, what does Peter do? He denies Jesus three times. And I think there was a lot of shame that was in Peter's heart at that moment. But when we jump ahead into Acts, you read Acts chapter 2, you see a whole new Peter. You come to chapter 5 and you see an even more bold Peter. Because in in, in chapter 5, Peter and John just become model examples of this very thing. Because a lot has happened to them and and, um, earlier on in in chapter 3 and all the way through here to chapter 5, they are are brought in for questioning because of a healing that has taken place and they're brought before the council and they're told to keep their mouths shut and they throw them in jail overnight and they decide they're going to have them flogged. They were trying to find a way to kill them. But they couldn't. But they were going to do anything that they possibly could. But after all that happened, they released them. Acts chapter 5, verse 41. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. You know, pain often purifies and purges us from the th- those things that trip us up. Verses 17 through 18, Peter references a a practice that God often followed in the Old Testament. And he would always start within his own house. And then he would work his way out. Look at verses 17 and 18. It says, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is sacredly saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? I think Peter is arguing from the lesser to the greater at this moment. He's saying, hey, we need to start right here in-house. We need to make sure that our lives are ready and prepared because we need to be getting our lives right we need to be getting our lives straight because there are people outside of those doors who do not know jesus and 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 judgment's going to come upon us and we're saved but what's going to happen as the days continue to appear and on that judgment day we're going to be held accountable for those that we didn't reach with the gospel We need to be spreading the gospel with everyone that we come in contact with. Brothers and sisters, I believe that God is cleaning up his church right now. And as as persecution, as hardships, as pain, as suffering continues to happen here, even in America. And listen, we are under no pressure the way that many others are around the world. But thing is, things are going to continue to get harder, even as a Christian right here in America. And as they continue to do so, we're going to find out, as that pressure is put upon, what's going to happen. And there will be many that will fall away. So, 
receive suffering, rejoice in it, reflect on it. And that brings us to number four, rely on God when you suffer. Rely on God when you suffer. Verse 19 says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. This verse clearly states that there's suffering is going to happen and we really only have two choices. Either we complain against God or we commit ourselves to God. We can either go through hard times shaking our fist at God or we can grab a hold of the one who created us who will bring us through whatever fiery furnace we go through. The word commit as we read it here that according to the will of God, commit their souls. This is a banking term. It means to deposit for safekeeping. Have you deposited your soul with God that it will be safely secured? That's what we have to hold on to and remember. Have you deposited your life into his hands? Notice the key is to trust his character. Trust the holy God. The one who is called creator is faithful. I, I, I watched a, a very helpful 10-minute video that uh, on, on this very discussion. Um, and uh, there are several of those. You can YouTube those. Um, I'll, I'll throw a link up on, on Facebook today. Um, but uh, in the video, uh, it, it, like I said, it's 10 minute, and they, there's several different videos and you can watch several of them if you'd like, but it's John Piper, David Platt, and, and, and Matt Chandler. And, and uh, the discussion is called God's Goodness in Your Pain. And, and they argue that we need a robust, a robust view of the greatness and goodness of God in order to find solace in our suffering. Platt says this, He says, God uses sorrowful tragedy to set the stage for surpassing triumph, whether in this life or the one to come. Now, um, to give you a little insight, when this video was done, um, Matt Chandler was diagnosed with cancer. He was diagnosed with a tumor in his brain. And many people would say, Why, God? I've been faithful to you. Why would you do this? And he, don't get me wrong, he admits he struggled with it. I mean, we all would. But eventually he came to understand that God was pulling him through it. And that's what we have to hold on to. And I love to use uh, this quote. It's from Tony Evans because it is so vitally true for us. Tony Evans says, Everything is either caused by God or or allowed by God. There is no third party. Nothing comes to us that is not first filtered through the loving Father's hands. Again, you can go back and you can read Job 1 and 2 and then jump to verses or chapters 38 through 42 and you really see how suffering happens and how God is in control. Job didn't know it, but he did by the end. And in the beginning... He was still faithful. Trials are designed to teach us so that our conduct and our character change. 
What's your response to bad things in your life? Don't become passive. Don't become embittered or allow your heart to be hardened. God is no stranger to your pain. He has been where you are because of his son, Jesus Christ. I have one last illustration, a story that I found this last week that I wanted to to share with you. The teenager uh, didn't want to be seen in in public with her mom. Um, That's most teenagers, right? Yeah. But this teenager had a very important reason in her mind of why she didn't want to be seen uh, with her mother. It's because her hands and arms were horribly disfigured. One day when her mom uh, took her shopping, uh, she reached her hand into her pocket and when she pulled it out, um, the cashier saw her mangled hands and she was taken aback by it. And the teenage daughter was just completely shattered by this moment. And she went out to the car and she just cried the whole way home. And she went into the house and her mom just let her sit into her room for about an hour. And finally, her mother decided that she needed to tell her the story of why her hands were the way that they were. She says, when you were a baby, I I woke up to a burning house. Your, Your room was a complete inferno. Flames were everywhere. I could have gotten out the front door, but I decided I'd rather die with you than leave you to die alone. I ran through the fire and wrapped my arms around you. Then I went back through the flames with my arms on fire. When I was outside on the lawn, the pain was agonizing. But when I looked at you, all I could do was rejoice that the flames hadn't touched you. Stunned, the girl looked at her mom through new eyes. Weeping in shame and gratitude, she kissed her mother's marred, hands and arms and placed her head in her lap as we transition over into communion my prayer is that we will see the the problem of pain and suffering through new lenses that when we partake of this bread that we will remember that it is the broken body of our lord jesus christ that he went through everything that you and i struggle with and suffer the hardships the pain the toil he went through it all when we partake of this juice that we will remember the nails that pierced through his hands and his feet as he was whipped with that cat of nine tails and his back torn open When the crown of corns was, oh my goodness, the thorn of crowns was placed upon his head. As it was shoved down in, blood flowed. He did that for you. And he didn't have to. So as you partake, and and we serve open communion, so in just a minute I'm going to pray, and when I finish praying... You can get up and go to the stations in the front, uh, the back, on the sides, and you can partake of communion. You can go back to your seat. 
just really reflect in upon what God has done for you. Let's pray. Almighty Father, we are so thankful for you and what you have done for us. We're thankful for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, and the many blessings that we have because of you. And and Father, I just pray and ask that as we partake of these emblems, that we remember what you did for us. You understand our pain, our hardships, our trials, our sufferings. But Lord, you came out the other side because on the third day you arose from the grave. Lord, I thank you for that very gift. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. As we bring all of this to a conclusion this morning, I want to go back to that opening illustration. How many of you find yourself in the same boat as that demolition driver that had pulled his flag down? Man, life is just, it is hitting you and it is crushing you. Right now, you need something, but you're not for sure what it is. And you're, you're just waving that flag of surrender. You, you need someone in your life right now to pull you through it. I'm here to tell you that the Savior loves you and he is here for you. And, and if you have never experienced the love of the Savior today you can experience for the very first time and you can meet me in the back and we can talk about what that means for others of you man you're just getting rammed from all sides and maybe it's maybe it's an addiction maybe it's a financial matter there's pain in your life and you need someone to talk to and you're not for sure exactly where it is that you need to turn but you just know that you can't do it on your own anymore he wants you to leave it at the foot of the cross and that's what you can do today so if you need someone to talk with to pray with I'm going to be in the back The elders are going to be in the back with me. We'd love to to talk with you, to pray with you, to help you, to find the right direction that you need to be going in. Whatever decision you have to make, will you make it as we continue our worship? Please stand.